Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 49 of Three Blokes and the Rugby League podcast. Joss McVitie and Jed Amos Goddard are with me once again as we dive straight into the previews of the 16 NRL teams ahead of the season beginning on the 11th of March this Thursday. We put all 16 teams into a hat and drew them out at random between Jed, Joss and I, with the end result being four separate podcasts based around how we feel they will fare in 2021. Today on this podcast, we'll be highlighting the Penrith Panthers, the Parramatta Eels, the Newcastle Knights, and we'll be starting with Mr. Jed Moscoda with his beloved North Queensland Cowboys. Yeah, beloved, but they weren't very beloved last year, I'll tell you that for free, because it was an awful, awful season. Um, a dismal affair, 14th place finish on the ladder, which was their worst in over a decade. Um, Premiership winning coach Paul Green left the club after six and a half years, bringing into a successful spell at the club, I'd say, obviously a grand final win, two nines tournaments and another grand final, which was the defeat to Storm. But in 2020, it was just the five wins in the shortened season and 15 defeats, uh, including a nine-game losing streak in the middle of the season, which is simply not good enough for the Townsville faithful at all. Um, the season at least sort of finished on a better note, two wins in the last three games, and beating Brisbane in their own backyard to condemn them to their first ever wooden spoon was definitely the highlight. Um, and we sort of saw, saw the sparks of the team starting to click in certain positions. The half started to play off, off each other pretty well. Home started to have a bit, a bit of form, which he hadn't really had throughout the season. Um, and in the last few games, he sort of saw some players of the pack finally starting to step up and not leave it all to Tamalolo, which was pretty much the story throughout the whole of 2020, is to give the ball to Tamalolo and let him make some yards and no one else ever really seemed to, to stand up, which is something that definitely needs to change in 2021 if they're ever to, going to become more competitive again. The biggest thing that we've, we should talk about in terms of what's been changed and what's going to lead them to obviously progress in 2021 is the appointment of Todd Payton, who comes over. Um, an ex-player at the club, um, did an amazing job at the Warriors, and I'm really, really excited to see what he, what he can bring in. Obviously, he's got a big task on his hand to try and turn the tide of the club. It has been downhill pretty much now ever since that 2017 grand final defeat to Melbourne, which, I mean, when you think about it, Cowboys really had no... no point really ever really getting there no one ever thought they would they squeezed into the playoffs on the last game of the season and went on a an amazing winning streak to actually get there they had no right to be there and that was sort of by just looking and going with the form and the momentum so if you ever want to take it a little bit further back than that really it's been pretty much downhill since the season after the grand final victory because 2017 weren't really that good just a bit of luck up towards the end got us to that grand final for me um the playoffs are out of contention this year, definitely. I think a successful season would be trying to aim for that ninth, 12, ninth to 12th spot on the ladder and then next year build on and try and push for that playoffs again. They just nearly need to get some some consistency, um, not only with games, but with teams. Um, chopping and changing around. Bring, I mean, the halves changed far too much last season. You had Drinkwater playing there. Obviously, you had Clifford there. You had youngsters like Deje and Arcee coming in, and there was just never any really fluency. Same with the backs. You had uh, Hammerside for Darwin, Holmes swapping around. Obviously, the only players that you could sort of say were consistent was probably Felt, um, Tamalola, of course, and then probably a sprinkling a few others, even like your more experienced players now, like, like Mo or I'd have a one good game and then one average game and then two poor games, and it's just not good enough. 
I need to be having at least three good games and one average game at this level. And that's just not been happening now for quite a few seasons for the Cowboys. I mean, they have recruited pretty well. I think Lachlan Burr is a really good signing and really strengthen up that pack. And I'm, I think that's a, a smart signing. Um, it's not a player that's going to grab the headlines, but it's got a player that's going to do the hard work, something that the Cowboys have pretty much shirked from uh, recently. And I think that's going to be a good one to take a little bit of pressure off. So it's a big shame that Tom Gilbert's broke his leg in pre-season because apart from Tamalolo, especially towards that back 10 games, he was probably his best forward. Um, thought he was excellent and really shone up and, and I was expecting for him to have a bright season this season. Um, unfortunately, the injury gods have dealt him that cruel blow. Um, we have seen the Cowboys quite rely on youth quite a lot and we can see sometimes how it can work really well, such as like your Tom Gilbert's. I mean, Hammerside to boy for Dow um, as a real bright spark for us last season um, and he's really going to be be pushing Holmes all the way um, but yeah too many passengers I, I feel like a lot of the the dead weight has been sort of gone now we've got rid of him I'm sad that we've lost Asiata as Joss mentioned in yesterday's podcast that's a really good signing by the Broncos Um this is very versatile. I mean, he's actually played standoff before for the Cowboys. I mean, considering he's primarily a prop forward, it's not something you ever really get in the modern game, but such is versatility. And for a forward, he's actually got a decent kicking game. Never really see it because we've got other more adept, adept kickers, but just something nice to have in your team and add that little bit of extra dimension. But that is a big loss, I think. Players like Cohen S and... Jordan McLean need to have massive seasons for me and they've been definitely nothing more but passengers and barely even that at time. Cohen S, when he first burst onto the scene, another example of youngsters coming onto from the Cowboys Academy was amazing. I think he got Queensland in his debut season. Uh, but then since that has never really even shown up to remotely what he could have promised at the start. And when he actually got picked for Queensland at the end of last season, I think all three of us were equally bemused because he'd done nothing to deserve that. Jordan McLean, a couple of two, three seasons ago, was a big money signing from Melbourne. Had a great season there, and since then, has done absolutely nothing. Um, Todd Payton needs to give them an almighty kick up the backside, um, which I think that he will do. I don't think he suffers um, people gladly, fools gladly, and will definitely want to get the best out of their performances. Some of the key battles in the team is there, there's some quite interesting ones. I think the most obvious one is the battle between uh, Tabuai Fadao and Valentine Holmes for that fullback position. Um, I mean, in this trial game we saw at the weekend, we saw Scott Drinkwater play there, which is really surprising. Uh, and you had Holmes on the wing. Um, but I feel like it will be mainly a battle between them two unless Peyton's seen something that I haven't. Um, but I feel like Valentine Holmes nearly needs to start living up to that $1 million price tag a season. Um, and Todd Payton will have no problems about dropping him and putting uh, Tabo Eiffel there. And obviously his nickname is The Hammer. So I think you very much this season, it could be a case of Holmes under the hammer. Yes, I have worked very hard to get that pun into there. And I can see a shake in my head. I'm sure the listeners are shaking their head, but I'm proud of that joke. Um, Ruben Cotter is uh, another youth product that could really push Jake Granville out of that start, uh, that backup hooker position. Um, and that could be an interest to see how that plays out. I think Morgan's got quite a lot of um, promise about him this season if he gets back fit. I think it's going to be a massive season. He's had two massive injuries with his shoulder and he'll definitely come back into that now. And with Clifford not leaving at the end of the season for the Knights, I can't see him getting much game time. And I think it will be a combination, I think, of Morgan and Drinkwater with Holmes at that spine. Obviously, Tam Holmes at fullback and Tamalola lose forward, which on paper is a very good spine indeed. And, and for them to be consistent will lead to the Cowboys being more consistent as a whole. 
I've gone quite brave with my prediction. I've gone 11th, probably a little bit biased, and I think 12th, 13th is more realistic. But I'm staying positive and uh, gone 11th for the Cowboys this season. Much improvement needed. Um, if we can stay clear of injuries to our key players and players who are on a million dollars that aren't Tamalola living up to their price tag, um, it should be a much better season indeed. I just want to ask Jed, I mean, like you, you just mentioned it there, actually, injuries have really cost him quite a lot in terms of Michael Morgan. But in, in, in almost like a bit of a cruel irony, when, when he was playing with JT in the, in the pomp of, of winning the NRL Grand Final, it was actually written quite often and spoken about that he actually played better when JT wasn't there. But in my opinion, as soon as JT's retired, his form has slipped and he's been nowhere near the player. I appreciate he has had some pretty bad injuries, but is it a case of that he's unable to lead a team on his own as kind of a lead halfback or is it just a bit of bad luck and, and hopefully he can pick up a bit of form this year? No, I do feel like it's a bit of bad luck. Maybe that has taken away some of it. Obviously, that pressure was never really fully on him. It was always more or less on JT with what JT can do. So he was more free to roam. And when JT wasn't playing, it was like, not that people like, oh, Cowboys aren't going to win because JT. It's like, oh, Cowboys are going to struggle this week because they don't have JT. And maybe Morgan thrived off that. Probably will have definitely had an impact. But I feel like it's the injuries mainly for me. It's not just like an injury of like, like your hip or your face, it's the shoulder. And when you're a half, you're using your shoulders more than any other position on the pitch. Your passing's got to be bang on. And I think the injuries will have really dented his confidence. A lot of talk has been about switched him, putting him to centre, which I think would be a massive mistake because on his days, he's a proven match-winning halfback. And I know he does play centre foraging when he's fit, but I feel like that would be a massive mistake and I hope they don't go down that route. Um, I feel like it is just injuries though, Jamie. I think if we can overcome that and get a string of games together, maybe say like the first eight and start getting some consistency, we should start to see him replicate his form of, the, of that 2015 to 2017 seasons. Yeah, my question, it does involve injuries, but just before I ask the actual question, we've got to take in consideration that's going to be injuries. The players at the Cowboys are starting to age a bit. You know, form wasn't great last season. Tom Lolo's said to be having time limited to 50 minutes per game. Is there enough quality in depth for the Cowboys not to get drawn into a bottom of a table fight? Because you've got to take into them considerations I've just mentioned. You know, you take a Morgan out of there again, you take Tom Lolo out of there again. Holmes doesn't always fire great. Do, do you, obviously you're a fan, so you know more than me, but do you think the depth is genuinely quality enough to to not be in the relegation scrap or not relegation scrap. But. On its own, I'd say no. I'd say the depth isn't good enough. However, one aspect that the Cowboys have that other clubs do in that bottom, probably bar Brisbane, um, so if you're looking at sort of the teams like the Doggies, Dragons, is that they don't really have a great youth system in terms of bringing youth into the forefront. Uh, Broncos do have, just because they've got a massive pull and probably haven't utilised that well enough recently. Um, but whenever... The Cowboys have called on youth players. They seem to do really well and, and perform well. So in terms of depth as a whole, I'd say no, but I'd say as youth system and as youth products are much better than the other clubs in that bottom four to sort of separate us from them, really. Um, obviously, you could just get unlucky and maybe they don't perform. Uh, so if that was the case, then yeah, it could very easily be drawn into that. But with them resources that we have available, obviously we're so isolated up there in Townsville that we sort of have us pick of sort of the local product and that's what we've done recently. And I think that'll come well. We've kind of blessed and sort of that the the roots that we have is very similar to like the Melbourne Storm that they just recruit really well in the youth and and continuously bring through this young blood. And with Toddy Payton there, I'd, I'd think that will keep us away from getting into that that bottom wooden spoon scrap, to be honest, mate. 
Um, and I don't know. It's, it is. It is. It, there's many different questions to ask, but I feel like we'll have a better season. I mean, we'll probably listen to this towards the back end and uh, you'll be saying, I told you you didn't have enough depth, but up with other work. One club that definitely doesn't shy away from having depth and uh, Jamie loves to pick on the fact that 11 or 12 of their starting 13 every week is from their youth system is the Penrith Panthers. And uh, Jamie's going to tell us a little bit more about them now, mate. Someone's been reading my prep because I'm sure I've got a line within this that, that spits exactly the same as that. I mean, one thing I was going to briefly ask you about, Jed, and I'll, I'll I'll do it leading into my Penrith Panthers, but the first game of the season, Penrith played North Queensland Cowboys. Did the Cowboys have any chance of that and what have they got to do to actually try and win that? Um, I don't, I'd probably say no. I think Penrith will be too strong. Uh, one, just touching back on that, though, is that they'll really need to make Townsville a fortress. So if they put in a good display, even if they lose, I think they'll take a lot from that. And I think five out of the first eight games are in Townsville, maybe even more, maybe like eight out of the first 11 games are in Queensland as a whole. So they'll really want to start strongly um, and put in a good performance. But I think the, the Panthers are a great side, as you will surely touch on. I think they'll probably have a little bit too much for them, Jamie. Beautiful link. Um, so yeah, Penrith Panthers. I mean, what more can be, can be said about that? The season that every Penrith fan dreamed of since they set out that five-year plan with the appointment of Phil Gould back in May 2011. I mean, although it did take a little bit longer than five years, I think they will definitely really start to become a bit of a dynasty that every other team is jealous of in the near future. Um, 2020, that 17-game unbeaten streak was a real highlight for them with only one loss during the regular season to quite a strong Parramatta side at the early early start of the season as well. Coming out of COVID lockdown, um, I mean, it was the improved performances of their own homegrown talent that really caught the eyes of the media and the watchers. James Fisher-Harris, arguably now the most feared front row in the game and will likely lead um, New Zealand into the 2021 World Cup. Isaiah Yaw earning a really well-deserved origin call-up and carving out his own path as a loose forward. Jerome Luai really pushing for representative credentials whilst playing every single game last year and providing 23 try assists. Nathan Cleary, I mean, the boy wonder is the absolute poster boy for the NRL, will most likely be at the forefront of that for many years to come. Billy Army Kikau, um, more is, is out to prove a point this year because he realised that Jed Moss Goddard did not include him in his top five second rows of 2020, the back end of last year. But like our mate Eden Harris says, more strike than a bowling alley, an unbelievable player and, and kind of a, a once again a generational type second row for me. You know, the, but they fell short in 2020, as everybody will know. They surely want to drive that on in, in the next couple of seasons. And the old adage is that you've got to lose one to win one. And that'll definitely ring in the ears of the Penrith, Pan Penrith Panthers fans. A real testament to the Penrith side, Jed. As I'm sure you're aware, out of the 17 who faced Melbourne in the grand final, 13 of that 17 made the first grade debut with the Penrith Panthers. And this continued conveyor belt of talent that they seem to be producing does not seem to be slowing down. Um, that brings us nicely and swiftly into the 2021 season and their recruitment. Quite an interesting off-season, actually, for a side that didn't seem to need to have many ins and outs, but you know what contracts are like in a salary cap era. Um, the kind of philosophy is that they seem to possess over the next couple of years is that they, re they replace outgoing talent with homegrown players coming straight in, and that's very likely to happen in 2021 as well. You know, the likes of the established stars that have left, Josh Mansur, Dane Fare. Um, James Tamau and Zane Tetivano will all surely free up some space in the salary cap, but I can easily see them being replaced with the likes of Charlie Staines, Spencer Linu, um, and they've signed Robert Jennings, Paul Momorowski and Matt Eisenhuth as well. 
obviously the latter two from us boys at the West Tigers and Scott Sorensen from the Sharks, all four decent NRL players, but I can't see them clogging up the salary cap a lot more. Um, and then you look at the likes of Jack Etherington, who, who's been shipped out to the Bulldogs, who I mentioned yesterday. I thought they might keep him on for a bit more aggression, actually, in the pack. But, I mean, he only made two appearances last year and obviously they shipped him out on loan to the Warriors and that speaks volumes if if a premiership, sorry, if a league leader's winning side is, is, is putting out talent on loan, they obviously don't value him too much. From my experience, really, I imagine Jennings will mostly be a squad player. Um, and although he had a fantastic stint with the Bunnies in 2017-2018, he really struggled with us at the Tigers and, and kind of our fast pace in the backs. Um, and this is really unlikely to improve with, with Penrith. Eisenhuth is a really astute pickup. Ironically, he's actually a Penrith junior, and I think his, his brother used to play for Penrith as well, or his cousin, Tom Eisenhuth, who's at the Storm now. Um, before he actually joined Tigers in the first grade. He's, he's a very awkward middles player. You know, he can play prop, he can play loose, and he's really hard to tackle and will make for a really strong 17. I expect him to be on the bench quite a lot and come off there as well. Um, and Paul Momorowski really starting needs to find in his feet now um, and settle a bit. He's a really strong centre with a good kicking game when he doesn't have his eye on other aspects of, of off-field drama and stuff as well. Um, he had a really good season for us a couple of years ago and then he's kind of drifted in and out and, and not really had his, his mind fully focused on the game. Um, I definitely imagine Penrith will look to hammer home their form of last season, not taking the foot off the gas at all and will look, you know, the, the, tw- the 2021 schedule is actually back to normal now um, and they'll have to focus on playing more games, um, rotating players in the middle of the season because they'll have a lot more origin call-ups this year because it's not obviously in the back end of the season, it's middle of the season this year. Um, and they need to have a focus on reducing points when the, in the defence when they're playing bigger teams. They leaked a total of 40 points overall against Melbourne last year and 42 overall against the Roosters, and that, that's not Premiership winning cre- uh, credentials, really. In terms of finishing, I can easily see a repeat of last year for Penrith. I don't think they'll be as dominant, dominant in attack, um, truthfully. Um and I don't think they'll have a, such an unbeaten run as last year. I think that's kind of once-in-a-generation type 17 games is, is a bit ridiculous. But I can easily see them finishing the top two, top four again. I can easily see them appearing in a grand final. Um, I'll go with them finishing second, and they might pick the grand final this year, but you can never really predict it too far out. Coming out of the Origin games, though, incidentally, in the middle of the season, they face away games to Storm, Roosters, Bunnies and the Eels. So that is a huge... Huge for a quartet of games coming out of the origin period that could potentially cost them a top four place. I mean, key players all around the squad really touched on him briefly earlier. Spent the majority of last season speaking about him on our podcast. Uh, the key to success really is keeping Nathan Cleary fit and on the field. You know, giving him time and space with the ball, much like the Cowboys did with JT and, and Newcastle with, with Joey Johns over a couple of years ago. Penrith side has an attack based around their best player. Everything Cleary does has a purpose and he's meticulous in his in his game planning and his structure. His partnership with his shoulders mate, Jerome Luai, is obviously quite evident. Um, and I can only really see him improving on eight tries, 86 goals, 17 try assists and 208 points last year, especially. Um, players to watch, Charlie Staines, obviously, it was quite obvious. He, he took a lot of the media last year. He's a really easy one to point out. I think he'll probably start on the wing in place of Josh Mansur. Um, scored six tries in two games last year before he had a bit of an injury that cut him short but I mean to keep an eye out boys on a big forward called Jermaine Hopgood he's been playing in the Penrith trials recently he plays for Queensland under the 20s and he's an absolute giant um, and I think he'll do well filling in 
for the gaps that James Tamo and Zane Tetevano have left. I think he could potentially get a 17 jersey and he'll definitely get a game in the origin period as well. Um, players to improve, very few from last season. Obviously, they all kind of improved last year and they don't really have much room this year. I personally, I always have a bit of a black cloud over Dylan Edwards. I think he needs to do a bit more to solidify himself as a top fullback. You think of, I mean, you look at our top five fullbacks of 2020 last year. I don't think Dylan Edwards came close to anybody in the top five. And truthfully, I, I think he'd be a bit of a push to be in the top 10 best fullbacks in the world, um, especially in a team that has such a litany of, of world-class stars. I think Dylan Edwards is still lacking in that. And me personally, I'd like to see him get on the score sheet a bit more. Um, he's only got 16 tries in 59 games for Penrith. Um, I guess that is a bit totally understandable when Penrith like to ship out the, the ball to, to the wingers and such. But um, I think they'll have a, still a really, really good season. And I'm looking forward to your question, boys. Yeah, so you mentioned about how you think they'll go. But <clears throat> how do you think the playing squad will cope with, you know, being classed as one of the leaders of a pack? Coming into last season, no one had any ideas of how good Penrith were going to be apart from themselves. No one had expectations on them, but coming off that great season and now expected to be pushing top two grand final appearances, how do you think they'll cope? Because obviously, well documented how clear it went with New South Wales, but what are your thoughts on it all? I think one thing that was evident last year, and we even spoke about it in our playoff preview last year, that um, Penrith only had two players in their squad Sorry, three players in their squad who had grand final experience. Apisai Corisau, James Tamau and Zane Tetivano. Tetivano and Tamau have gone now and I appreciate every other player in that squad now has grand final experience, but it's from a losing aspect. Um, Nathan Cleary has played origin. He's just lost an origin. Um, you know, Isaiah Yo. They've got a big squad of, of getting to the big stage and not performing at, at quite a lot of levels. I think they might even look at someone like Kurt Capel who's played for Queensland now and that's the Warner Origin Series. I think time will tell, Joss. Um, I don't think the pressure got to him too much because you look at the 17-game unbeaten streak, um, fans all coming back into stadiums this year, which I think could put a little bit more pressure on him. Ivan Cleary is a good coach. He's very tech tried and tested. I don't think it'll it'll touch on him too much, but you know it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if they did if they did collapse a little bit, especially around the Origin period where they're going to have a lot of players shipping out, um, potentially a few injuries sprinkled around that as well, and the, the heavy games coming out of that. I saw a question that's not too far away from that, and you sort of touched on it a little bit there, Jamie. But you say the, the, the Panthers' approach is to ship out experienced players in favour of bringing through this a new player, young player. Do you think by doing that, they run the risk of losing experience and then leaving the complete pitch with an inexperienced players? Do you think that's a sustainable way to approach it long term? Or do you think you're going to get to a stage where you're continuously doing that and then there's no experience to guide them through them later stages? I think it's sustainable, but purely in the fact of salary cap, which is an unfortunate way to look at it, because we know that rugby league in the NRL is a bit more of a business than kind of in Super League. But like you said, I mean, them them players, Josh Mansur, Zane Tetivano, James Tamau, I mean, I can't, I can't calculate at the top of my head, but I bet they've got hundreds of NRL games underneath them. Josh Mansur's played for his country in origin. James Tamau's won a premiership with you boys. Um, and played New South Wales, and Zane Tivano's played at the Roosters, which is heavily experienced. I think one thing that will benefit them is that there's such a tight-knit squad and they all come through the system together. It's not like they've just pulled a load of young lads from different youth systems. They actually know the grade. Um, and Ivan Cleary has obviously um, been at the club for a couple of years now on two spells. 
it's a real cop-out answer. Time will tell. I think, personally, they'll deal with it well. Um, and like you say, Jerome Luai and Nathan Cleary have got another year's experience now. Jim Fisher-Harris and Corey have got another year's experience now as well. I think they'll deal with it well. If if they win the Premiership this year, it would not surprise me. And I think that'll drive them on even more losing it last year as well. Um, I think a side that's probably going to be really trying to push on to get a bit better this year um, when they fell away last year, especially post-COVID, is the Parramatta Reels. And Josh McVitie, you are going to tell them about us. Yeah, I'm going to tell them about us, or I'm going to tell you. Yeah, yeah, I know. I thought I'd, I thought I'd took that under the rug quite well then. <laughs> yeah, 2020 <laughs> was a huge season for the Eels, as we all know. Um, and it even had some fans disappointed with how they uh, finished and faded away a bit. On the day, as we've mentioned multiple times in the pod, when they are firing, they are phenomenal to watch. They can shift the ball, not like my teams. Mitch Moses, when he's on, he, he's really on and he needs to deliver again this year. Uh, but on the complete flip side of it, they're also a team who can throw a game away. They, they, as we've seen from the results, they can slip up, they can switch off. Um, they've got a beautiful stadium now and they play some beautiful rugby. And I'm probably speaking on behalf of Para fans that it's about time we needed some silverware to start there. Um, last season they were well and truly in the young, as mentioned, but you know they just they seem to run out of steam at the wrong wrong stages in the season, and they just looked a bit spent. So hopefully we see off season they'll have been working on that and where to where they need to make changes. They were unstoppable at points, they really were, and they took they took Penrith off. They were the only team to take Penrith off on Derby Day, and that's that screams everything about Para. You need to know they can play. Uh, but then, again, a disappointing end to the season in a, in a really disappointing result against Souths, which, again, what I thought, you know, they, they could have really pushed Souths in. They just need to think, just need to remain consistent, I think, and I think that's what the Para fans are screaming out for. You know, as we mentioned, this expansive attack and defence, they just need to consistently turn up week in, week out. The core of the team is strong. They've recruited well. And the need to be making sure they see these games out against sides who aren't pushing for top eight and consistently getting wins against them and picking up the points we're expected. Because obviously, with a strong season last year, this season is going to bring more expectations. As I mentioned, you know, they've got they've made some handy pickups to be fair to them. Michael Oldfield's obviously left our place. Um, I'm a bit surprised we let him go, really, especially with Cotrick going. Uh, Oldfield, I know we've got Simonson at one side, but Oldfield can fill in anywhere in that back line. And he doesn't just fill in, he, he's consistently good at what he does. Isaiah Papal has gone there. Bryce Cartwright, who I genuinely hope gets a good crack this season. I know he's injured at the start of the season, but I'm hoping he has a, he gets some fit and has a go. I think it's an interesting signing. And I think when he's fit, it'll be interesting to see how or where he fits into this power lineup or what they plan to do with him. Keegan Hipgrave Hip Hip is a great signing as well. He's He went under the radar a bit last season, but when you actually watch his games and if you play a cam he gets through a lot of work and he puts his body about. Really strong work and I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, that Joey Lustig and Nathaniel Roach are two interesting pickups and I think they're really good little pickups because it provides backup for Reed Mahoney now, and I honestly think Reed Mahoney will be in an origin side this year. Um, and I think last season, I'm going to touch on this in a minute, but 
Parra relied heavily on Mahoney and they had no one who could really come in and fill in that. Stone came in a couple of times, but Stone's not an out-and-out nine. And I think when Parra don't have him on the field, they're a different team, which brings me on to my key player. And before I start, a lot of people would have said King Clint, and I completely agree, he's phenomenal and he's crucial to how they play. But I think if you watch the work Reed Mahoney gets through, Parra would really struggle without him. He's guaranteed 40, 50 tackles a game. He don't miss. He's full of energy. He scores tries as well. His defensive rate work rate, as I've just mentioned, is ridiculous. And he manages to get this big and mobile Parra pack rolling, even when he's blowing a bit. I honestly think he'll be pushing Origin this season. I really do. He's a, he's a great player. Speaking of great, great players, Hayes Dunster is a young bloke. I reckon he's a bloke to keep an eye out for Parra this season. Especially with Ferguson, who we're going to talk about in a minute, not doing overly well at points last season. On his feet, Dunster is electric. I don't know if you've seen his highlights, but he is really quick and he is he's agile. And he can play, you know, he can play at the back as well for if when Origin rolls round and Gufferson's not there. But he's, his physicality and his willingness to put his body on the line, you watch some of his finishes in the corner and he's not scared to throw his head where he shouldn't be going. And, you know, I'm excited to see him play this season. I think on a dry track at their place when they're firing, I think if he gets a shot, I think it'll be hard to not warrant him a shirt or similar to a Nico Hines role at Melbourne, you know, maybe a shirt on the bench. And this brings me on to my play to improve because I think Dunster will be breathing down his neck a hell of a lot now. And that's Blake Ferguson. I think Ferguson's been told that after this season, you know, he can find a new club. Uh, but he's a former Origin representative and he's last season just wasn't good enough for him. And I, I watched a bit of a trial game this this weekend and he just didn't look to be in it. I don't know what's wrong or if he's just rusty, but he just didn't look to be in it. His running game is strong, as we know, but he only bagged four tries last season. And when you think about Blake Ferguson, you think about him scoring tries and celebrating like he just won lottery. He, you know, he's scoring at any point from anywhere. And I think with Oldfield signing and Dunster breathing down his neck, as I've mentioned, his shirt could really be up for grabs this season. But on his day, you know, he's one of the best in the NRL. And I, I, I hope he does kick on because he's always better to watch when and not be playing because he's just a character. Um, but if he's not performing, then this season, Parra have got that depth. I think they will finish sixth. I don't think they'll crack top four this year. But I don't think that's any detriment to them. I just think it's how well other teams have recruited and how strong they are looking. So I'll open the floor up to you two boys. My question's on a particular on a particular player. Um, Mitchell Moses now has had this air apparent environment about Parramatta that he's going to continuously now be their, their leading man. And as much as he did really have a good... 2020 and show a glimpse of it, he's still not really become the player that we thought that he was going to become. Do you think now he's sort of getting into the last few sort of years to be able to actually prove that and become this sort of like, I know with the call, um, Gufferson, obviously the king, but that was always sort of the mantle that was going to be given to, to Mitchell Moses and he's never really sort of gotten there. Do you think this is sort of that his last season to try and achieve that now? And what do you think he needs to do to get to that level? Right, mark my, my words, 1st of March, 2021, Mitchell Moses finishes the season with a top try assist this year. He's going to go firing. I think last year, 
I know he went off the boil a little bit, but that was the season he needed. And he has now got a, you know, a recognisable six outside of him in Dylan Brown. When you think of power teams over the last few years, there's been a lot of pressure on him and Gufferson to perform because there's not been an out-and-out six. You know, there's been blokes filling in here, there and everywhere. Takarang has had a go. Will Smith's been there. And I think we, having Brown with him will really settle him. And, you know, Gufferson's been in an origin camp now, so hopefully he'll be able to go to another level. And I just think Mitch Moses is going to have a huge year this year. I think I really do. And I think, as you mentioned, Jed, this mantle, what he needed to live up to, I think this could be the year where we do actually see him get to that and share that, well, not share the title with Gufferson, but, yeah, I think he's going to be big this year. I think he's also got a point to prove because he's pretty much guaranteed a, a World Cup spot with Lebanon as well. Yeah, I mean, he's played for Lebanon a few times and he's going to want to play World Cup, obviously. I mean, his dream is probably to play Australia, but he's going to want to go into that Lebanon side and when he does, he's going to want to be on good form and he's going to want to be a firing. He's not going to want to go to World Cup with Lebanon, have an holiday and come home. I don't have him down as that type of player. He's going to want to go and he's going to want to win. So I think he'll have a big, big year this year. Top try assist, as I've told you. Get your money in at Skybet now. And I think I think he'll have a great World Cup. I think Lebanon will be a fun side to watch. This just, mine's more of a hypothetical situation, Joss. And, and you, you sparked a thought in my mind when you mentioned about Nathaniel Roach and um, Joey Lussick. I like that they're stacking up the hookers because, like you say, around origin time, Reid Marnie could easily get called up for Queensland and then they get a hooker down. Last year, when I watched Joey Lussick play for Salford, I thought he were excellent and he ripped teams apart in Super League. And I thought he was probably one of the better players of Super League that shouldn't really be playing. He should be in the NRL. Just looking at the lineup at the weekend, and I think what they actually did was they took off one of the front rowers in Paulo or Regan Campbell-Gillard, put Brown at prop, brought Reed Marnie to 13 and then put Lussick at nine. Now, I know that last year they were back in the games and especially back in the season, they were saying that the, the pack was lag, was lagging a bit, especially Regan Campbell-Gillard. How well do you think that'll go for them? Yeah, I think it's really dangerous because, when you, as you mentioned, Joey Lussick's not a slow player. And him and Mahoney bobbing about in the middle against some tired big teams. So, as we mentioned yesterday's pod, against the tired Warriors pack, they're going to have a field day down the middle. I think carrying him on the bench is a real good option because, obviously, as we mentioned, he can go nine. It can slot into that 13 role. It means you get to keep Nathan Brown on the field, belting blokes left, right and centre. It could become a problem when you are, again, when you're playing them bigger sides and you've got two blokes who are very similar in Mahoney and Lussick. I hope Mahoney wouldn't fall into the role what McKinnis has had to fill in at the Dragons as, you know, where he's having to stand up and do it all because it's not like he plays for 60 minutes at nine and just saunters along. Reed Mahoney puts everything into that 60 minutes. He'll easily do for 80, but he plays that full 60 to 80 minutes with everything he's got. You know, he goes guts to a wall. Um, I don't think I'd bring him off, though. I think Lussick's going to have to come on and push him into it forwards. But then again, you've got Bryce Cartwright as well. So be a real, it's a real good uh, headache to have. And another good headache to have is Newcastle Knights in general, Jamie. Can you tell us a bit about them? 
say what, mate. I had an headache right in their uh, previews. But, I mean, 2020 for a Newcastle Knights fan, consistently inconsistent is the first two words I have written down. Um, and it's something that kind of the Knights fans probably prefer in, in terms of recent times compared to the wooden spoons of 15, 16 and 17. Um, but with the quality within their squad, it, it needs to change for me now. Um, many teams were kind of given benefit of the doubt in 2020 in regards to COVID restrictions, changes in location, reduced fans, injury toll, origin at the back end. But I feel as though this season it can be and will be very cutthroat. Um, players like Caelan Ponger, new signing Tyson Frizzell, need to be putting on world-class performances more regularly. Um, and take the pressure off someone like Mitchell Pearce, who actually played every single game in 2020. And I thought he had one of his best seasons he's had in a long, long time. You know, they started 2020 with three wins and one draw, but from round four until round 11, they had a perfect win-loss record. It was win-loss, win-loss, win-loss all the way. So, like I say, perfectly. Consistently inconsistent. Um, even They even managed to pick up wins against the Raiders and the Bunnies around that period, but then lost to the likes of Bulldogs and Cowboys. Just, just upside down in terms of what they were doing and what they needed to be putting out on the pitch. Um, injuries really hampered them, as it has done for the past couple of years. It's been really bad luck for the Knights. Connor Watson spent another good chunk in the physio room and hopefully he doesn't become a type of talent that is injured for longer periods than he actually ends up playing. You know, key signing, Jaden Braley at Hooker, ended up with the season with a ruptured ACL. And Braley and Watson are two cogs in that spine, sitting on the sidelines for a long period of time, while the Knights have got to chop and change their spine constantly. Blake Green came in as one of the most rated players in the NRL, mid-season switch from um, from the Warriors, it was. I almost forgot my lines then, from the Warriors. It helps really steady the ship, as he does with every single team he goes to, and then he just blows out his knee. And once again, they ended up with having to put Kurt Mann there. Um, I mean, if he stays injury-free this year, I think they'll continue to do well. Looking at this year, 2021, the recruitment in the off-season, a real big season for them. And I feel this squad especially, it's either double or nothing in terms of not only qualifying for the playoffs, which they did comfortably last year, but progressing to the latter stages. I know me and Jed had a very brief conversation off there about Adam O'Brien, and, and I was quite surprised they offered him an extended deal. Um, the fans are, are, quite, are known to be quite patient in the Hunter Valley, but with the talent in their ranks, you'd understand their frustration if they don't make the eight, especially. Top-tier signing is Tyson Brazil. I know he had a poor, poor season last year in terms of playing for the Dragons and playing for Origin, as we mentioned on our Origin podcast. You know, the form he showed from 2014 to 2019, it was no secret that he had a dip last year. And we was really lucky to actually get a New South Wales call-up um, and was probably their worst performer, in, in my opinion. Um, he's still 29, so he's got a good couple of years left and he's got a good chance to be able to turn the corner and, and become a real leader in this night side. Um, so I saw Sue from the Doggies, Jack Johns from, from the Bunnies. Two solid buys. Um, so I saw Sue's obviously got a little bit more experience playing for the Tigers. Um, I think they'll mostly be squad players for the Knights, if I'm honest. So I saw Sue's come off the bench a couple of times for the Knights in the trial games. Um and Jack Johns, you know, what more do you want for a Knights, Knights fan? That surname's synonymous with the Knights. Um, and I think he should hopefully be making a bit more of an impact than he did for the Bunnies. The Bunnies are very heavily stocked in the forwards, as, as Jed will go into in a couple of days' time. Um, and, and he really found it hard to break through in the second row position. Two young English recruits that a lot of people will have heard about, Bailey Hodgson and Dominic Young from Castleford and Huddersfield, respectively, will probably, probably be signings for the future, but especially the latter in Dominic Young, it's been really, really impressive 
in, in the trial games. Um, and Andrew Ryan, one of their um, youth academy um, development officers, has, has spoken very highly of Dominic Young. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the rookie make his debut this year. Um, you know, he made his debut for Huddersfield in the Super League at 17 years of age against St. Helens in 2019. So he's been going at it a long time. Um, they've, they've shipped a couple off the salary cap as well. Aidan Guerra, Tim Glasby, they've hung up the boots. Herman SES is headed up north to Gold Coast. Sione Metaltia has caught the plane over to St. Helens. And Mason Lino has gone to Pastures New with the greatest rugby league club in the world at Wakefield Trinity. Um, finishing, finishing, where the hell are Newcastle going to finish? They could easily finish fourth. They could easily finish 14th for me. You know, it sounds like a bit of a cop-out, but it all depends on their consistency around their injuries. There's something missing at Newcastle, and I don't actually know what it is, and you boys might be able to shed a bit of light on that when we, when we hand over for the questions. But, you know, over recent years, I've been massively impressed with the likes of Mitch Barnett, uh, the Saifiti brothers, Lachlan Fitzgibbon, who were actually at the club when Newcastle were, were gathering these wooden spoons in, in the mid-2010s. But they seem to be quite hampered by the salary cap. Caelan Ponger, David Klemmer, uh, Tyson Frizzell, Mitchell Pearce, all world-class on the day and origin talent. But the rest of the squad just seems to be lacking something. Um, I think they'll finish outside the playoffs um, and I think they'll underperform again. But Caelan Ponger has, has got to be the boy, he's got to stand up. Um I'm, I'm, I've personally been quite critical of Ponga and that's mainly because he's one of Jed's favourite players and it's a pleasure of mine to wind him up. But seriously, I, I, I always feel like he should be doing more than he actually does in a sense that he's almost a victim of his own hype train um, through no fault of his own what all, at all, really. But we, we know what he can do when he's on his game. He can turn a game on its head when he really wants to. But one thing that I do think we'll, we'll need to see from Ponga is him taking advantage of the two-point field goals this year, you know, the new role in the NRL for anybody listening, when you're 40 metres out, he's got an absolute wicked kick on him. And I think he's definitely got the confidence to try it if the Knights are one behind or two behind in a couple of games this year. Player to watch, I know he's a, he's a good, he's a favourite of yours, Josh, he's Bradman Best. Really, really good player. Big powerhouse, really decisive ball handling centre. Um, he scored eight tries in 11 games last year and seemed to take games by the scruff of the neck more often than not. He's represented New South Wales at the 16s, at the 18s level, Australian schoolboys, and he's only 19 years old at the minute and he's already been named in Brad Fittler's emerging squad for the first grade New South Wales team. Funnily enough, he can also represent Wales in the World Cup. So if you don't get picked uh, this coming autumn, um, we could easily see him in the centre for Wales as well. So that's that could be quite a, quite a good one. Players to improve, I've already mentioned Tyson Brazil first and foremost. He had a really, really poor 2020 on top of a, a, a fairly ordinary and average 2019 with St. George in New South Wales. He's a bit of a shadow of his former self and I think he'll, he'll, he himself will be pushing on for a better 2021. And you've got to keep an eye out for David Clemmer. I know you were absolutely astounded, Joss, that he got missed out of the Origin Series last year, but he's an absolute destructive force and he'll definitely have it at the front of his mind to have a huge, huge season. Newcastle Knights, boys, what, what have you got for me? Yeah, so my question is, you, you talked about the signings, Frizzell's a great pick-up, and we've talked about Ponger, Pierce, but obviously we've got Texoy thought about Kurt Mann who can play there and Connor Watson, but do you think there's enough genuine depth op option-wise in the spine? No. No, uh, truthfully, no. That's why I mentioned if they get a lot of injuries, I think they're done for, and it was very similar last year. 
you know, you know, you look at the spine, it's probably going to be Ponga, Green, Pierce, Braley, and then Kurtman on the bench who can play anywhere else. And obviously Connor Watson at 13. Um, Kurtman is kind of a, a victim of his own versatility, as Jed has mentioned previously with, with Brandon Smith. He can play anywhere in the back line. He can play nine and he can probably do a stint at 13 as well. But I just don't think he's got any definitive position at all. Tex Hoy, he had a good debut last year, but he didn't really stand out too much for me. And unless Ponga gets a career-ending injury, I can't really see him standing out and can see him potentially moving on as well. I know he's a, he's a Newcastle boy and he probably don't want to. Um, but truthfully, Josh, short and sweet, mate, I don't think they've got enough depth. Um, I, I don't have too much knowledge on their youth system, but I don't think anyone is pushing up any... Um, any critics or any, they're not getting huge amounts of praise in the youth system to really be pushing the likes of Ponga, Green, Pierce out of position. Braley is probably the only one that is a bit inexperienced, but he's had, I think this is his fourth or fifth NRL season now. Um, so on the day, that, that Newcastle spine is excellent, but when it's not, it's, it's, it's bottom four. Touching on what you said, Jamie, about obviously the win one, lose one, obviously consistently inconsistent. I'm trying to think of their squad now, and you'll know obviously a lot better than me, but other than Guerra, who's now left, and Mitchell Pierce, I'm struggling to think of any players who, who apart from obviously the one game they had last season, have any finals experience. In, in terms of NRL experience, it's a very inexperienced squad. Nowhere, no one really playing to like the last stages of the season or who have won a grand final. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. You might say you're wrong and there's about five players that I forgot. But if that is the case, do you think that could be a massive stumbling point of why they're so inconsistent? Yeah, I mean David Clemmer. David Clemmer's played played um, NRL Grand Final with Bulldogs. He's not won one, and he's played Origin. Um, I think he might have played in the Origin winning series when Jared Ayn got that last minute. Um, he flew up into the crowd, but like you say, um, Mitch Pierce, David Clemmer, and you know that's it really. I, I agree. It's, it's it looks like a good side on paper, but uh, you know you, they've still got a good crux of players: Barnett, the Saifiti brothers, Fitzgibbon, who were there when they were when they were crap essentially. You know, wooden spoon, eternal, eternal players, um, and Adam O'Brien. Although he has been at Melbourne when they've been winners, is not a is not a winning coach. Um, so yeah, it's going to be tough. You, you look at players like Anari Tuala, who's been at U Boys. Um, she she um, I always say this wrong. Shibisaki, who was at Brisbane. You know, being at clubs who have won grand finals, Jaden Braley when he was at Cronulla, but they were always after they'd actually won it. So it's going to be tough. And they've kind of just got to get through it. I think Caleb Ponga has enough good type of arrogance to get him through it. But yeah, I agree. I mean, alternatively, I don't think you need winning experience to be a winner. Sometimes it just comes in the NRL, especially with players like Caleb Ponga when they're on. But yeah, Jed, to answer your question, mate, they don't. They don't. Um, and, and that sums up our um, number two podcast on the NRL previews. We've had the Cowboys with Jed, we've had the Panthers and Knights with myself and Panamata Reels with Joss. Um, join us tomorrow for the Manly Winninger Seagulls, the West Tigers, the Gold Coast Titans and the Green Machine, the Canberra Raiders. Join us on social media where we'll be uploading our players to watch, our favoured NRL ladder. Um and on our podcasting platforms as well, we've had Richard Agar interview, we've had Tom Johnson and we've had Barry McDermott. Join us tomorrow and the day after for our continued NRL previews. We will catch you down the road. <laughs>